You're listening to the Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Brought to you by Abercrombie and Kent, pioneering experiential luxury travel since 1962. Buckle up and take off every fortnight to spectacular destinations as we share the inside word on all things travel. Whether you're into luxury travel or tripping on a budget, whether it's river cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an awesome travel experience. Tune in with Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. And be sure to like and share this episode so everyone can get a taste of all things travel and now on to the show with your host from Christchurch New Zealand Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch welcome aboard Kiwi tripsters I'm Chris Lynch and I'm Mike Yardley ready to share some more first-hand travel tips and experiences from around New Zealand and the world and we've got another great giveaway before we sign off sounds good now first up we're looking at epic rail trips and Mike Yardley you are a train spotter, aren't you? Well, I have to confess I am. Uh, and Australia actually has some classic multi-day excursions, including the Indian Pacific. Uh, it's a real railway legend, the Indian Pacific. Outrageously long, <laughs> that ride between Sydney and Perth. The track spans over 4,000 kilometres. Wow. Uh, I like rail trips, but please tell me the, you can sort of stop off or it's not the whole coast-to-coast <laughs> -coast thing. Well, you can go coast to coast. I decided that would be too much for me because yeah. the full traverse takes four days. I thought I'd go batty. So I gave New South Wales the flick and jumped on board uh, the Indian Pacific in Adelaide, westbound for Perth. So that chops it down to a two-night trip. And the other really cool thing about doing it that way is you still actually see the key signature experiences deep in the outback across Australia's wide smile, Chris. Are they, are they is, are, is the seating comfy? Do you, can you sleep on the train? What's the deal? Yeah, very much. And, um, do you get your own wee cabin? Yes, you do. You get your wee cabin and uh, the, the bedding sort of converts from um, a bed by night into seating by day. Okay, so is the, is the train still travelling at night time while you're asleep or does it yes. stop at a destination? No, it will tra travel overnight. So on the first night of uh, the trip, if you aren't used to it, yeah, it is a little bit of an adjustment to sort of get your body in sync with that rolling motion of the train. Yeah. But it actually becomes quite percussive. Mm. Like there is a beat to the train. And there is a wee bit of sway, but not too much. Okay. I like the sound of this. I just want to make sure I'm, I can sleep at night time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the other highlights to, to these types of trips for you? Because you've done quite a few, but in terms of this one here, yeah. how does it compare to others? Well, I think what really sets the Indian Pacific apart is that you do get a really good sense of Australia's immensity, uh, and particularly its interior, all of that ochre earth, infinity horizons, you know, sunsets, and sunrises just stretching out into infinity. Um, there is the odd scratching of civilization in the outback, and some really interesting things like the rocket testing range at Woomera, which was actually a key communication station for the moon landings. And at a place called Maralinga, you can see the old British nuclear bomb testing site. Um, I went to a little settlement called Forest. There are two people who live there. And the sole reason for being there 
is to service the two emergency runways, which are Australia's biggest runways outside of the major cities. Uh, we had wow. to stop at a ghost town called Cook, and this was actually once a substantial railway service town until the train was privatised uh, about 20 years ago. So hundreds of locals were laid off. Uh, they fled, so all that's left in this town are the buildings. What about any other curios? <clears throat> well, I, I think it is that supreme sense of isolation, mm. which really did it for me. And there was one moment of sheer drama on the train, Chris, where this massive bird, a wedge-tailed eagle, had misjudged its manoeuvring and it crashed into the cab of the locomotive, smashing the glass. So the train was paralysed and we had to wait until a freight train arrived with spare parts. And as it was, the bird had actually done enormous damage to the cab. Wow. So the freight train gave us their spare locomotive so we could continue on our trip. Um, and, yeah, that spirit of camaraderie, which you notice amongst the passengers, certainly extends beyond the passengers to um, other fellow trains on this far-reaching railway line. What about Nullarbor? Well, I think the Nullarbor was my highlight. Aboriginals reckon you can hear the earth humming in the Nullarbor. I can't say I actually heard it hum, but uh, the rich colour of those ochre sands is an absolutely amazing spectacle. The Nullarbor is also home to the longest stretch of dead straight railway line in the world. So for 500 kilometres, there is not one uh, one kink. It is just arrow straight for 500k. And the Aussie astronaut Andy Thomas who flew on the shuttle, said you can actually see that stretch of track from space. Now, we've covered sleeping, mm. but I like to eat as well. What's the eating kind of facilities like? Fabulous. Uh, the Queen Adelaide restaurant is uh, part of the package and you've got a la carte gourmet dining on board. So breakfast, lunch and dinner, absolutely superb meals. What about, what's, I'm just trying to think what kind of tra- a crowd this train thing would attract. Well, it's funny because before I bought it, I thought this might be a retirement home on wheels, but it's actually attracting a much broader global church now than perhaps it used to. Yeah. Uh, The Aussies, they tend to be the retirees on board. The international passengers uh, tend to be younger. There were plenty of 40 and 50-something Kiwis, even families travelling with teenagers who were um, putting to the test the idea of a digital detox because you cannot get Wi-Fi on board this train. Uh, so you're absolutely off the grid. And I actually found it quite cathartic for a couple of days. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a really good idea. Get off the Wi-Fi. Don't make it accessible. Absolutely. Otherwise, don't go on the trip. Thank you for that. I'm glad. That makes me feel better. Just ahead, dazzle me with Doha. More and more Kiwis are flying to Europe through hubs like Doha, the capital of Qatar. This is a wealthy, wealthy country, isn't it? You can smell the Durhams in the air, Chris. Um, (laughs) I was uh, having a wander around the Pearl where all of those glossy luxury stores are just lined up. And the amazing juxtaposition is you've got all of this contemporary wealth and and flaunted bling of, you know, all things retail alongside swirling white disher dashes of traditionally dressed men 
and their and their clothing sort of billows like sails in the Gulf breeze uh, in Qatar. And yeah, and they like strolling past the Aston Martin showroom as one incredible, does. Incredible, incredible. How does the likes of Doha compare with Dubai? Yeah, well, I think Doha is a more rewarding stopover because you've got all of that flashy and futuristic bling of Dubai, but yeah. it's overlaid with tradition and heritage and culture of old world Doha. Does that actually work though or does it feel like it's all a bit fake? Well, I think it probably offers an experience for two completely different audiences. So if you like your traditional stuff, you're well serviced. Um, If you like all that retail bling, they've got that as well. I stayed in an area of uh, old Doha, very close to their their souk, souk wakif, which is like, you know, their big old traditional marketplace. And they've been trading on that side for hundreds of years. So you've just got like this um, honeycomb of alleyways with 1,200 pint-sized stores um, coming off these alleyways. So you go there to get your spices and your honeys and your sweet meats, Arab perfumes, uh, lots of souvenirs, obviously. I've got a huge thing for frankincense, so I binge-bought frankincense from the soup. But it is like stepping back in time. You'll see woodcarvers and tailors beavering away from their really small stores, and then the gold souk next door to the main souk is just like a treasure chest of temptation. And all the young couples in Doha, uh, that's where they go after they've decided to tie the knot, the gold souk. Yes, you do. Do you feel safe? Is it a safe place? I felt very safe, yeah, incredibly safe. Um, To the point where you think, oh, could I actually see a bit of drama? You know, something Mm. a bit edgy to happen here? It's got that sort of Singapore safe sense to it. Uh, I like that. I like that sense of semblance where yeah. everybody walks in the same straight line. <laughs> yes, exactly. I like that. Any surprises though in the likes of any of these souks? Well, I think the one that really is quite confronting is the animal souk. Um, the overheated pet bunnies uh, panting in the desert heat, not mm. good. Uh, there were there were tanks overloaded with baby terrapins fighting for space. Uh, the, the puppy seemed happy enough. Uh, they were well stocked with food and water, but yeah, I mean, it can be um, pretty pretty challenging for Western sensitivities. The amazing thing is the falconry and camel racing. They're both huge, revered sports in Qatar. And adjoining the souk, you've got this pampered herd of camels. They are the royal ceremonial camels. So you can admire those up close. And then you've got a falcon souk next to that where... Uh, they're like champion racehorses. They will sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars, these falcons. And you've got a falcon hospital <laughs> right wow. across the road from the falcon souk where you can take your sick falcon for surgical needs. Um, even falcon energy drinks can be purchased from the falcon hospital if your bird is feeling poorly, Chris. <laughs> okay, I don't think I'll be buying one anytime soon. Although I suppose it would be quite cool to have, you know, what's like the um, the Doha version of a parrot, isn't it? Pretty much. Just a yeah. bit more sexier yeah. and more expensive. Red Bull for a parrot. Yeah. Very nice. It's quite, col- you were saying before mm. that the whole place is quite cultural because when I think of the likes of Doha, mm. I think of glitz, glamour, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I don't think of it as a cultural place, but it is quite cultural. They have absolutely stepped up their game uh, to make Doha a more cultural destination uh, with a lot of head-turning architecture and museums. Um, Just off the Corniche, the main waterfront, they've got the Museum of Islamic Art, and it is just 
a jewel to look at. It was it was designed by I.M. Pei, who actually did uh, that glass pavilion around the Louvre in in Paris. Um, and this museum he has designed, it is like an illusion of this structure, this jewel floating on the water. It is absolutely brilliant. So magnificent Islamic art in there. Um, and then uh, the latest uh, installment in Doha is this incredible um, uh, outpost of the Louvre, which was inspired by a desert rose. And it's hard to describe just how magnificent this building is, but it's it looks like the crash landing site of a whole lot of flying saucers. So the building's design, you've got 530 creamy discs all tilted at different angles. So it looks like flying saucers all just piled wow. up on top of each other. Uh, or, a, or a gigantic crockery set that's, you know, sort of fallen out the car boot. Um, just magnificent <laughs> statement architecture. What's the food like in Doha? Yeah, really good. Um, you can pretty much please all palates in Doha. So if you want your traditional eats, you can't go past the souk for, you know, your Persian or your Turkish, Iraqi, Syrian. You can try the lot. Uh, you've got to try a cup of local carrick tea. It is absolutely fabulous. Um, and then, this will be right up your street, Chris, uh, all of the... All of the luxury hotels have got this ongoing competition for the best buffet brunch. Brunch is huge in Doha. So all of the hotels compete for the best buffets. The Doha Marriott has a 100-metre-long buffet spanning what? everything from full English to sushi and tacos. So you can absolutely eat up a storm in Doha. Sounds a bit better than the likes of Denny's. <laughs> um, <laughs> just ahead, we are going to do something completely different. We are going to go celebrity spotting in La La Land. Stay tuned. Kiwi Tripsters will be right back after this break. Abercrombie and Kent was born on safari in East Africa in the early 1960s. It's grown to become the world's leader in luxury adventure travel. Now with 56 offices and more than 2,500 travel experts on the ground around the world, Abercrombie and Kent takes the world's most discerning travellers on exquisite journeys in more than 100 countries and all seven continents. This is luxury travel redefined, taking you out of your comfort zone in exquisite comfort on handcrafted, bespoke, private and small group journeys and luxury expedition cruises. Talk to your travel agent, call Abercrombie & Kent on 0800 441 or visit abercrombiekent.co.nz. Who are the most famous people you have bumped into by chance or when travelling, Chris? Uh, good question. I have bumped into, in fact, the very first time I went to Los Angeles, I bumped into, true story, Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. As I was I was just outside the main terminal, in LA, uh, what is it called? LAX airport. Yes. And she was coming out and I saw all these camera people flashing. I thought, who's that? That poor, that poor woman's just been off on a long haul flight probably. And there's all these camera people. Haranguing her. Yes. Yeah. And it was Paris Hilton. I'm no f- massive fan of celebrity, the e-channel movement, that kind of stuff. But I thought, oh, I'm here now. I've got to go up to her and say hello. 
went up to her and said, hi, look, I'm really sorry. Would you mind if we get a selfie? It was the first photo I got the minute I was off the plane. It oh was Paris Hilton. And she was very obliging, very lovely, asked about where I was from and was happy to engage in a conversation. And she was very normal. She wasn't using that baby Hollywood voice that some of the stars use to attract the money. She was very gracious and nice. And I felt like, wow, this is a lovely celebrity. So I've met her. Uh, In terms of um, other celebrity spotting, when I was going for a trip to the Jim Henson Studios near LA, sorry, near Hollywood, on the way, uh, I said to the taxi driver, oh, look at that person there, looks like Whitney Houston. And it was a lady who looked like Whitney Houston. She was um, sucking on a Slurpee ice drink. And he said, that's not a lookalike. That is and is Whitney Houston. She just lives down the road there. So I, I thought that was quite interesting. But it was sort of weird because, you know, she was just doing her thing. Just a mm-hmm. person who was out and about drinking a slushie on a hot day. As you do. And yeah, but I thought, wow. And I thought, I thought wait a minute, we've just, I've just spotted one of the biggest stars in the world. Mm. So that was pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah. And I went to, where else did I go? Uh, Universal Studios LA. I don't know if you call them celebrities though. You know the cast that that run those e-channel programs, yes. Mario Lopez. Oh, yes. He's not really a celebrity as such. He looks like human plasticine, really, doesn't he? He does. Mm. Yeah, a lot of, a bit of work. A bit of work. So yeah. I've met, I don't know if you call that a celebrity. Oh, yeah. I'm what sure he calls himself a celeb. Yeah. Well, probably. Yeah. yeah. You've met, you've met any famous people? Well, the two stand... <laughs> not in your former job, by the way. Any, well, any famous people just... Um, Cindy Lauper was a bit of a serendipitous moment at the Ruby Hotel for me in Hollywood, Chris. I was... Uh, entering the lift, when she walked in behind me and we were chatting away in the lift and it was only after about 30 seconds or so that I suddenly realised who she was because she was so incredibly down to earth um, and I felt totally starstruck. And I have to say, she is a seriously stunning looking 60-something year old. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was very impressed by her. The one that probably is going to be hard hard to beat for me going forward is Michael Jackson. No. It was about six weeks before he died, and I was doing one of those Starline tours in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, yeah, they are, they are good fun. It's a must-do. I think so. Uh, and not far from the Osbournes' house, Michael Jackson was staying in a rented house because he was rehearsing for that new show in the world tour. Yeah. Uh, and suddenly, as we were passing his property, the jet black gate swung open, and he was hopping into the back of an SUV... And he was hobbling into the car, looking virtually crippled. He looked wow. like death warmed up. And interestingly, our guide on the Starline tour said, I think he's off to the clinic again. And the rumours were rife then that he was seriously unwell. So, yeah, sure enough, within about a month or so, uh, he died in that house just off Mulholland Drive. Did you get a photo of him walking into the... I did. I did, but you can't really see him because he's just getting into the car oh. <clears throat> and his body is sort of obscured by the car door. Do you? What I always wonder, though, when you go for that movie stars tour, yeah. do you think that they actually live in those houses? Because a lot of the homes I saw, mm. they kind of look a bit empty or vacant as if it's kind of not staged, but I don't know. What do you think? I think there's probably a bit of both. I do recall um, most of those movie homes tours will take you past... Um, houses that have appeared in movies have been used mm. as locations for movies and also where previous residents 
lived. Yes. Who are no longer living there. Um, well, they've got massive hedges. That's right. So, so you, you don't can't really actually see, much. see. So no. I'm sure, I haven't been there for about five years now, but I'm pretty yeah. sure they must have uh, tours where you can actually see a bit more on the screens, yeah, on exactly. the buses, because I remember seeing some of these homes, well, some of the, where these people live, and they go, well, I can't see anything. It's just a massive hedge. Yeah, that's very true, yeah. They are insanely popular, though. And, oh, uh, yeah, good fun. I, I know that uh, a friend of mine who did it recently said they saw both Dr. Phil. <laughs> yeah, that's big enough start, I he, suppose. He was out mowing his lawn. Um, really? And Jack Nicholson outside their houses. He was watering his garden. Actually, when one of the star tours I went on, they take you, obviously, through the likes of Beverly Hills, yeah. where some of the homes look quite similar to what you might see in a new um, suburb of Christchurch. Yes. Right, but I always wondered that when you have a look at those homes and there's no fences, what would happen if I just went up to um, Doctor Phil's door and knocked on the door? Do people do that? Or I know I'm sure lot, they do. A lot of them do say though, with their armed guards in this area, do not approach. Yes. Doors. Yes. So I think like, most houses say that. You know what I mean? Like, so Simon Cowell's house, for example, you yeah. can just, there's no kind of gate or anything. It's just no. a, you see a car up the driveway, yeah. and if you wanted to. Yeah. I'm sure they get tragics knocking at the door, and it's not just, you know, the Seventh day Adventist people. Yeah. But I wonder if, and can the, can the public just walk through those Hollywood hills? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, what hotels, um, do you th- what what hotels do you see there though when you do these types of tours that may or may have been in movies? Well, one of the one of the big celeb spotting hotels is the Beverly Hills Hotel, and it's the Polo Lounge uh, where still a lot of Hollywood's royalty will go for lunch. So, if you go there for lunch, you never know who you could be sitting next to. If you want to have a splurge and book a night in a bungalow. Similarly, you'll never know you you could be uh, sharing the pool with at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Interestingly, cameras are strictly forbidden at really? the pool at that hotel, yeah. Is um, this the hotel where, the, where they do the Glo- Golden Globe Awards? Uh, Golden Globes is at Beverly Hilton. That's right, because yeah. from the outside, the Beverly Hilton looks, looks kind awful. of ugly. It's kind Very of looks awful. like a, yeah. an old concrete building. You don't you don't think of glamour when you no, look at it. Not it's, on like, it's on a motorway. You think, yeah. ugh. Yeah. Oh, so I'm getting confused, but the Beverly Hills Hotel is yes, nice. that's the big pink palace, as they call it. Um, I know so many people who have had close-up celeb encounters at Chateau Marmont, which mm. is just off... Um, uh, the uh, Sunset Boulevard, uh, in the cocktail bar there. Even though the drinks will cost you a fortune, you, you may want to try your luck there. And also the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. Now, this is the one that's opposite Grauman's Chinese Theatre. Oh, yeah. Uh, on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, if you go to the Tropicana Bar, that has quite um, a strong reputation as a bit of a celeb haunt. A friend of mine about six months ago was schmoozing with Zac Efron, at the Tropicana Bar. So that was the okay. highlight of her trip. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> what does Zach Efron do now? Um, restaurants. There are, there are quite a few restaurants where the paparazzi yeah. hang up because they know they're going to see some kind of star. Absolutely, right? yeah. They are very much <clears throat> the, the giveaway that there is some action on the celebrity front. The Ivy is a perennial star-stalking spot. And another big trender at the moment in uh, West Hollywood is a place called Fig and Olive. Every dish is slathered with their specialty olive oil. Very fresh, very healthy, very now. Apparently, the fig, fig and olive, Chris. I'm feeling hungry now. Uh, where's best in Malibu? A lot of stars there too. Oh, yeah, I know a lot of Kiwis have uh, had uh, chance uh, encounters with celebs at the Malibu Country Mart, which is kind of like your casual outdoor shopping and dining centre. But if you want to see those famed Malibu gazillion-dollar beach houses... 
they're actually very hard to get to because a lot of them are only accessed by private lanes. Yeah. Your best bet is to go to Carbon Beach, which is also known as Billionaires Row. Lowry Allison, Jeff Bezos, they all have trophy homes there. And Carbon Beach runs from Malibu Pier and public access is now a lot easier because they've put in a new public path. It only opened about six months ago. It's well worth a perf, Carbon Beach. Okay. Um, other tips, the likes of if you want to go for a bit of a hike, yeah. uh, pretend to do some exercise, but celebrity stars. Absolutely. Runyon Canyon, well known yeah, for I've its hiking trails. Yeah, just above West Hollywood. Um, supposedly it's crawling with exercising celebs, but I don't know if you'd actually recognise them because they will tend to be in, you know, baseball caps and, and dark glasses. So yeah. you might struggle to recognise anyone. Finally... If you think all of this idea of, you know, celeb spotting is very exploitative and tacky, um, there is another surefire way to see plenty of star power in Hollywood. Go to Griffith Observatory. It's a fabulous perch to see the stars. Nicely said. Go the celebs. Right, with a new year just around the corner, I'm ready for Christmas, by the way, uh, we've come across some really intriguing research, uh, true research from Booking.com about emerging trends for next year and over 20,000 travellers were surveyed, so this does appear to be real, Mike. Indeed. Uh, Booking.com predicts that 2020 will be a year of travel exploration like never before, fueled by technology as well as a growing sense of responsibility. That's you, Chris, Mr. Responsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, apparently, a big trend, a deeper connection with the people and places we visit. Whatever that means. <laughs> um, the rise of the so-called second city traveller. Yeah. I found I find that interesting. Yeah, second city travel means taking um, like a lesser-known destination in a bid to reduce over-tourism and to protect the environment. A really good example is, for example, choosing to stay in Vicenza or Verona as opposed to Venice. So Vicenza and Verona are only about an hour, 90 minutes away from Venice, but given the crunch on Venice, how about staying at one of those sort of second-tier destinations? Over half of global travellers want to play a part in reducing over-tourism while making a positive impact to those lesser-known destinations. That's a good idea. Mm. I'd be more inclined to visit a, a tourist destination that may not be as popular because I'd rather yeah. see it without too many people, but that's just yeah. me. But that's a really good idea, actually. Yeah. So what you're saying what is slow-mo the new FOMO. Yes, this is another big uh, trend. Instead of experiencing the constant fear of missing out mm. and trying to speed through as much as possible, apparently travel in 2020, according to Booking.com, will be all about taking it slow. Over half of the travellers surveyed don't mind spending more time travelling to reach their destination if they're taking a unique mode of transport. Um, And interestingly, 64% of travellers said they'd be interested in feeling as if they're going back in time by taking a historical train journey like the Orient Express to meet oh, yeah. the, uh, to reach their destination. So, yeah, look forward to a year of slow and special travel seems to be the tip. That's a good idea mm. because I, I like, when I go on holiday, it's got to be a holiday. I don't yeah. want to wake up with an itinerary doing this and that, otherwise it starts to take away yeah. the fact that you're on holiday. I love that idea. Very much. Uh, the all-amusive escape is trending though as well, I know, which is quite cool. Yes, travellers want to be as time efficient as possible on, va- on vacation. So instead of settling into one theme for your entire holiday, 
2020 apparently will see a rise in travellers exploring the all-immusive destination. Now, these are the destinations that offer all of your favourite activities and sites <laughs> in close proximity to, to each save other. time. Yeah, and once again, it's yeah, to save travel time. I don't mind that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I See, so I would prefer just to go to one place, <laughs> have all the attractions, you know, within yeah. a 20-kilometre radius. Thank yes. you very much. And then yes. I'll pop home again. But I want to make sure, though, that, that we're, if I'm going somewhere, that I'm there for a longer period of time. Indeed. That's Absolutely. Um, but you've still got people that want to make that grand... Um, getaway though, which doesn't mean just going to one place. No, well actually this is a new take on the idea of a grand getaway and this is based around multi-generational travel which has been booming in recent years and a big trend that is starting to emerge is grandparents taking their grandkids on holiday. So cutting out the parents, it's grannies with the grandkids. Good on them. Um, And it's very much because today's older generation is so much healthier, more adventurous and keener to stay young than ever before. So expect to see grand vacations become more and more common in the year ahead. I like the sound of it, actually. Just going out and exploring the world with your your grandkids, nice. Long-term travel planning, that is trending. What does it actually mean, though? Yes, more and more people are planning to retire earlier. I mean, that's the hope. That's the wish most of us have who are working. And what they are planning to do post-work is also changing. Top of that list is starting to plan big uh, for their future golden years with nearly two-thirds of people seeing travel as the perfect way to spend that free time post-work. Yeah. Actually, I've been walking up uh, one of the main hills here in Christchurch now for a few weeks, meeting a lot of tourists who particularly seem to come from England who've told me uh, they've sold their home Mm -hmm. to go travelling, much to their kids' worry because they've used their inheritance. That's it. But I say good on them. Live your life. Yeah, exactly. Use it. You've only got one. Thank you. Good on them. (laughs) Um, Look, before we go, we've got your chance to win courtesy of Lonely Planet, the world's number one travel guide brand. Yes. A, A very special copy, don't we? We do. If you want to be in the draw for a copy of Lonely Planet's Best in Travel 2020, subscribe to and comment on this podcast at Apple Podcasts. Your feedback will instantly put you in the Lonely Planet draw. Good luck. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for joining us again. We love all your feedback, by the way. Do keep it coming. If there's anything that we've discussed you want to talk about, do let us know, or anything you would like us to discuss. Make sure you get in contact. Absolutely, because travel is best shared and our show notes are listed on the website kiwitripsters.co.nz. Thanks to Abercrombie and Kent for making this podcast possible. A new episode of Kiwi Tripsters will be released in a couple of weeks' time. We would love you to subscribe to our channel. If you haven't already, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes and Google Play Podcasts. And on the next episode, Fun with the Finns in Helsinki. Oh, it sounds mischievous, doesn't it? Plus, it does. we will spotlight <laughs> the gems of Cartagena in Colombia. We'll catch you in a fortnight. Until then, travel well. See you soon. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? 
Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Thank you.